Hey, what's up guys? Thank you for joining me for our video today. We're going to be talking about type 7. And uh, this is exciting because I am a 7, social 7. So uh, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. We're going to talk about uh, uh, type 7, the instincts of the 7 or the subtypes, the three subtypes of type 7. And uh, I hope you'll stick around. It's going to be a great video. A lot of great information. It's challenging stuff for me to hear and say. And uh, I hope it'll be challenging and encouraging to you if you are a seven or if you're in relationship to a seven to better understand uh, what's going on in their mind and heart, what their motivation is so that you can be more compassionate with yourself, be more compassionate with the people that you love. Uh, before we get started, my name is Dr. Tom LaHue. Welcome to my channel and uh, thank you for subscribing. Uh, check out my description below. There's a link there to my website where I have all kinds of information for you and a store um, and um, courses that I've designed, um, two online courses, and uh, of course coaching appointments. And like I said before, I do coaching appointments with people all over the all over the world. Really, uh, sometimes sometimes just one. People just need help, you know, one time, or sometimes it can be ongoing. So it just depends on what the person needs or what they feel they need. Um, because a lot of times, you know, therapy and counseling doesn't take into consideration the Enneagram. And, uh, you know, somebody asked me, well, what's the Enneagram have to do with anything anyway? Well, <laughs> you guys that have been into the Enneagram know that it, it has a lot to do with everything. Um, uh, why we feel compelled and impulse to do what we do, um, why we get aggravated and upset, uh, with ourselves and with others, um, who we're attracted to. A lot of these things in life are are directly related to the Enneagram, and uh, so sometimes people just want to connect, you know, and just try to resolve a simple problem in their life that seems complex or overwhelming at the time. Um, sometimes they want uh, to, to meet for a while to get some extended help, but I'm available to you guys. Uh, you can check out the website, TomLahue.com, and uh, get more information if you'd like to make an appointment. All right, so let's talk about the seven. And uh, we're going to start with the self-preservation seven, um, or what we might say the adolescent seven. Uh, you could think in terms of all the Enneagram types as having sort of an adolescent, uh, a childlike, and a uh, and an adult-like. And the uh, I think the self-preservation is kind of the adolescent seven. The social seven, which I am, is more the adult-like seven. And uh, the, um, um, the, the sexual se uh, seven is kind of the childlike, the dreamer. Okay, so why do I say adolescent? Well, this seven is wired in to be a pleasure seeker and can come across because of that as being a selfish person. They may not be selfish at all, but they're going to come across as being sometimes self-referencing, uh, uh, which all sevens are self-referencing, but they'll come across as maybe a selfish person because they what they want, they feel they need. And so they're more inclined to go after what they want and... Um, to feel like they have the obligation to be true to themselves to get what they need in life. And they're going to make their needs known and they're going to go after what they want or what they need. And of course, the passion or the sin of all sevens is gluttony. So all sevens are responding to gluttony and dealing with gluttony to some degree. And so the self-preservation seven, um, it's a little more obvious that gluttony is is the problem. Think of gluttony as whatever is going to make me feel full or happy exists outside of me. Okay, so that's a good way to understand gluttony. Whatever I need to be full and content and happy and rich and joyful in life 
exists outside of me so i need to go get that and absorb it i need to go get that experience i need to go get that collection i need to go get that opportunity or that idea that thing that material thing i need that experience that adventure and i need to go get it and when i have it and i'm unwrapping it and i'm opening it that's when i experience that joy and that happiness and that contentment so gluttons are hungry looking for something more Okay, so the fear of a seven is the fear of being stuck and having limited freedom and the, the fear of lack and the fear of missing out, the fear of not being able to be satisfied and being stuck in pain or heartache or, or boredom or anything tedious. So the self-preservation seven, you could also think of sevens in terms of gullibility, okay? So this is the least gullible of the sevens. In other words, this seven is savvy. This seven knows how to get what they want. They have their ear to the ground. They have their nose to the wind, looking for a great deal, looking for an opportunity that will be good and beneficial for themselves, okay? So they're wheelers and dealers to some degree. They're looking for opportunities to advance their cause, to advance themselves in terms of getting their needs met. Not like maybe getting promotions and all that, like maybe a three might think, um, but in terms of this is going to be something good for me, this is gonna be a great deal for me. And so they're, they have an eye for that, for that attraction, for that, um, you know, so they're not gullible. On the other end of the spectrum would be the childlike seven, the uh, the sexual seven, which is more gullible, okay, more idealistic, more living in sort of like a fantasy of the way the world ought to be and, you know, the way it, it should be uh, and, you know, like a dreamer. And so they can easily, you know, be sort of gullible. Well, this is the opposite of that. This and somewhere in the middle would be the social. Okay, so this seven is shrewd. The self-preservation seven is shrewd. They are called uh, they they um, are called the keeper of the castle, okay, or uh, the belonging one, or the belonging to the family one. And I think what that the idea is, this seven is going to build around themselves connections, and those connections are there to support and to meet my needs. Those connections, those important people around this seven, are there as a network of personal allies who will support me to help me get what I want in life, to help me help meet my needs. They will drive me when I can't drive myself to the store. They will fund my experiences when I need those experiences to be funded. They will bail me out when I get into trouble or get in over my head or get caught or get, you know, they will be there to to push me in my wheelchair when I can't when I can't walk myself, but I've got to go and I've got to get out and I've got to do this thing. And so that makes me dependent on others to help fund this operation or all of these, you know, activities and, um, and, and things that I want to do in life. And so they need this little personal mafia around them that is going to fund or bail them out or let them stay rent free uh, so that they have this network of people that they can call on when they want to bail what they're doing now and go do something else. You know, the, the what was it? The superpower of the seven is, uh, what is the word again? The superpower of the seven is, oh, it's going to kill me when I'm watching this video and I'm thinking to myself, I know the word. Um, it is being able to locate somewhere else. Okay, I'm going to think of it in a second. It's when you're in one place, but you can then morph to somewhere else. 
Okay, when you can, you know, like on Star Trek, you can just go teleportation. There we go. Teleportation is the is the superpower of the seven. What that means is, is the seven's going to get bored with what we're doing right now. They're going to get bored with 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 whatever event we're at. It's never enough. It it never feels feels completely fulfilling. And so when they go to the movie or when they go to the recital or when they go to the play or when they go out to dinner, they're kind of looking at their watch like, is this all there is? What else are we doing? Can't we do something else? And then I don't want to cause any conflict because sevens don't like conflict because conflict is painful and it's just nothing we want to mess with. I'm going to teleport quietly away from this event and go off to find something else. And it's this hunger of never being satisfied, looking for something better, looking for something more, looking for something greater. Uh, they can be so exhausting for the seven and particularly so exhausting for the people that live with the seven. And this seven in particular is going to, is, is going to act, I think, a little more on that impulse than the other two. A little more like, I'm going to go do what I'm going to go do. If you want to come with me, that's fine, but don't try and stop me. I'm going to go do what I want to go do. I, and, and it's an attempt to try to to experience the much as much of life as possible, sample as much of life as possible without getting stuck, without getting, you know, tied down, without being tied down to the tedious and the boring things of life. Uh, so the seven has a very active mind and can be very productive when they're focused when they're focused, like a five, when they're focused on what they want to do and accomplish in life, they can be very productive if they are in the zone at that time to care about that particular activity. Uh, if they're not present with it, then you're going to see them move to one and be very uh, frustrated and just go through the motions um, like a one. Just check it off the list and do what they've got to do. But when they're focused and they're in the zone and they've got joy and they're present, you'll see them very productive and very uh, excited. Enthusiasts. They're called enthusiasts. Sevens are called enthusiasts, which means not only am I excited, but I'm going to get you excited about this as well. I'm going to share that excitement enthusiastically with you about whatever it is I'm interested in or whatever it is I want to do. It's the most important thing and we need to do it now. It's the most important thing and the right time to do it is now. Let's get up. Let's get in the car. Let's go now. Why can't we go now? It's that, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And a seven is in a sense always asking, are we there yet? They're not enjoying the process they're not enjoying the destination. They're enjoying the looking forward to the destination. But when they get there, all they can think is this all there is. Then let's get in the car and let's keep going. Let's go somewhere else. Adventure, looking for, seeking, and it's gluttony. It's reaching out for something else externally, hoping that it will bring fulfillment in life. And the self-preservation seven is going to look the most gluttonous of the gluttons because their gluttony is a search for pleasure, for satisfying opportunities, for experiences, and cultivating a network of allies who will support them in their quest. So that's why it's like the keeper of the castle or the keeper of the family or belonging is because, which by the way, the seven believes they have a special privileged position in that family as well. And their needs, their wants are needs. They define, sevens often define their wants as needs. Okay, and, and, and they'll feel powerless that I have to go do this. I have to go out to dinner. I have to go with my friends. I have to go. It's a need. They'll experience that want, what you might call a want and a desire, uh, as you know, whatever the collection is that they're into right now, as I need that next record. I need that next uh, coin to go in my coin collection. I can't have peace until I acquire 
That's gluttony. I have to acquire this thing external to me in order to be satisfied. Gluttony. Okay. So they are the, this one is the most practical and materialistic practical in like, let's get it done. Let's go out, get in the car, drive to the place, make it happen, do the transaction and get what I need quote unquote need. They're the most practical where the, the sexual is the most impractical, the most dreamlike, okay? Most like fantasy in their head. You know, they're they're accomplishing all these things in their head. This one is actually doing, okay? Stuck in sort of a doing mode, like let's go do it. Let's go make it happen. And sometimes can leave sort of a, a trail and a wake of, of broken commitments and promises behind them. Because yes, they promise to be at your soccer game, uh, because they're not going to have conflict. And when you said last week, hey, Uncle Bill, hey, Uncle Jerry, will you be at my soccer game? They said, sure, kid, of course I will be. But then, you know, what happens is they forget and something else comes along. And even if they do show up mentally, they've probably teleported already or they may just be looking for an opportunity. Well, I've got this thing. I'll be here at the game, but I got this thing that I've got to go to and go with this other thing. And so they'll double book and triple book and triple schedule so that they've got a way out that it's not me. It's not it's not because I'm being selfish. It's because I've got this thing I've got to go to. And so sevens, especially this seven, are notorious for stacking things into their calendar so that they can just, if they have a calendar, because sevens may not want a calendar because calendars can feel restrictive. Calendars can feel like they tie you down. To-do lists can tie you down. And a seven doesn't want to be tied down. They want to be able to get up and run and rip at any notion uh, that pops into their mind that they become enthusiastic about. It can be exhausting being a seven. Okay, and I'm sure it can be exhausting living with a seven as well. Okay, um, so let's see opportunistic, optimistic, optimistic. Look at the bright side. Hey, this is going to be great. Okay, so we say, let's get in the car. No, let's let's hitchhike across America. Who's most likely, which type is most likely, do you think, to say, hey, let's get a trailer and open a taco restaurant in the trailer and drive across the country? selling tacos out of the trailer. Which type do you think is going to be most likely to drive around the country, think about this decision all of, you know, two days, and then get in a trailer and drive around the country selling tacos? Which type do you think it will be? Probably a seven. And they're going to say, very optimistically, oh, it's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be awesome. We're going to go see America. How much money do you have? I don't know. What do we got, Charlie? Oh, uh, $250. Uh, well, where are you going to get the supplies from? Oh, I, 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 you know, it's all going to work out. Optimistic. And chances are it probably will work out because sevens are opportunistic as well. And they find ways of getting their needs met and they're assertive types, so they're not afraid to just walk in and ask you to help me with what I'm excited about. This is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Would you help? Would you be a part of this? Can we count on you? Would you rely on us? And they're not afraid to maybe just come in, lean on you, and ask because they're assertive types. Okay? And so they're opportunistic and self-referencing um, and can appear self-centered, calculating and clever making good deals that benefit themselves. Uh, they have a network of reliable, trustworthy people they can depend on. Um, they feel protected and safe when they have that network of people that'll be there for them to help them, bail them out. That's a good idea, bail them out when they get in over their heads. 
Um, they can be unaware as to how much they are driven by their self-interest. If you were to say to the seven that, man, you're selfish, um, they would not, they would not, they might be taken aback by that. What do you mean I'm being selfish? I'm not being selfish. They might not see that, what their behavior is as, as it being selfish. They might just think of it as, you know, um, I have a passion for this, or it's a great opportunity, or, um, you know, I've always wanted to do this. It's been my dream since lunch. You know, I've always wanted to do this. Uh, or, you know, they might not characterize themselves as selfish, although to others they will probably appear like they're being selfish. Uh, they might come across as though they're self-centered. Now, all of this can make this seven, the self-preservation seven, a very isolated person. Now, what's interesting is they surround themselves with that network, the little mafia, their little family mafia, right, that's there to bail them out and pay their rent and take care of them when they don't want to be responsible. I know it stings, okay? I'm a seven, okay? So I get it. I'm sorry. The Enneagram is not pleasant. It's painful, okay? Seeing yourself in the mirror is not always a pleasant experience. Now, to the degree that you don't act like this, then our hats are off to you, self-preservation sevens. If this is your impulse and you can resist some of these negative parts of your impulse and and uh, impulses and function in a positive aspect, then we appreciate that for what you do and also what you don't allow yourself to do. We 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 appreciate that. Okay, but I think that this seven could end up, even though they have that little mafia around them, kind of an isolated, alone person. And there's a part of them that, although they're probably very extroverted, that sort of feels like an introvert. Um, that they can end up kind of like cut off. They they can leave behind them a trail of kind of broken promises and and uh, and pain. And again, they're not going to want to recognize that because sevens don't like pain and they're running away from pain and they would hate to think that they're causing pain in people's lives. But when you don't follow through on your promises and when you don't follow through on your responsibilities, uh, their sevens are probably going to want to reframe that and minimize it and say, well, 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 actually, 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 and give all kinds of reasons to, here's a key for sevens, is we rationalize, we rationalize our behavior. Um, and say, well, that's not what I meant. Oh, that's not what I intended. Uh, I'm sorry you, you took it that way. But I, I was never in any way trying to, because like, here's the thing, it was never about you. The sevens acting as self-referencing means they don't necessarily think about how their behaviors are affecting the people around them. They're self-referencing. They're thinking, what's in this for me? How can this make me feel better? How can this alleviate my pain of doing without, of being without? And so they're moving forward, impulsing and compulsing toward behavior without reference to how is this going to affect others, especially the self-preservation seven is they're just thinking about this seemed like a good idea at the time. This seemed like it was going to make everybody happy. What I need is what everybody needs. My needs are the needs of the group. Okay. Um, so this seven can end up a little bit isolated because people get exhausted. People get tired. People get run down. People don't have the energy to keep up with all that nonsense. They don't have the energy to keep up with all that running, 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 going, searching, you know, quest, adventure. You know, it's accelerator to the floor all the time. It can be. And that can be exhausting, especially for some of the other types on the Enneagram, the nines, the fives. You know, they don't they don't want to keep up with all that. And and other people in your in your group in your real family that are real people might feel like they're getting left behind. I have a two wife, right? Who wants connection. 
And if I were to impulse and move on all my seven ideas, she's going to feel like she's going to be left behind, like she doesn't matter. So sometimes people in your family, the fours, the twos, the sixes, they might feel like you're leaving them behind. You're so focused on what you want to go achieve or what you want to go do or the next big fun idea or the next big deal or opportunity that you're not thinking about what is this costing, who's paying for it, and what the rest of us have to clean up. And so the people in your life are probably telling you, you know, slow down, just slow down for a minute. Do you really need all this? The self-preservation seven, yes, they feel that they need all of this. They feel that they need it or they're going to go crazy. They feel like they probably feel like they have ADD or ADHD. Um, They might be a little bit bipolar and feeling like I'm up, I'm manic, I'm so excited. And then it didn't work out. So I'm so depressed and and I'm stuck and it's a rainy day. And uh, the boss said no. and, And they can just lose all their joy. And when sevens are healthy, they're bringing joy into the world. And when they're unhealthy, they're just pulling joy out of the world. They're so, they can just go through the motions and be so uh, task oriented and just done and, and just experience life with no enthusiasm, with no joy, with no happiness because things didn't work out according to what we thought we needed. Think of it like this. If I told you, you need 10 widgets in order to be happy and you only have five, then you're going to spend the all of your time. How do I get those next five widgets? Okay. And that's a seven. They're spending all their time, not enjoying the five they have, but lamenting the the five they don't have and then you come across another person in your family who who only needs two widgets and they've got four and they feel like wow i've got more widgets than i need how come my brother is stressing he has five i have four and i have more than enough he has five and he's never satisfied and people in your life are going to look at you like when is enough enough And honestly, if you want to have compassion on your seven friend, on your self-preservation seven friend, just realize that although they have five, they live under the assumption that they need 10. And so when a seven can get alone, when a a self-preservation seven can get alone in silence and in solitude and in stillness, which feels like death to a seven, okay, silence, solitude, and stillness, when they can sit alone in that for a little bit and realize, I have five, you know, maybe I don't really need 10. Maybe sometimes less is more. But for this seven, they feel like more is more. And they live by the idea that more is more. More is better. And if I can have one, I want two. And if I can sample all of them, I want to sample all of them. But, you know, sampling isn't always the best way to live life. Sometimes you need to actually purchase and buy and live with, and keep, and hold on to, and say no to others. In other words, there are some things in life that it's not appropriate to sample. Um, so if this self-preservation seven can learn to appreciate the five they have, and, and look around and say, so this seven needs to go to five. All sevens need to go to five, you know, Enneagram type five. This seven needs to go to five to visit the five spot to realize you know, maybe maybe less is more. Maybe I don't need everything that I see. Maybe I don't need to fill all of my clock with fun experiences. Maybe I just need to appreciate what I already have and take care of who I already have in my life and what I already possess in my life. And maybe I need to appreciate what I already have and maybe what I have is enough or more than enough already 
And look at that. If I need 10 to be happy and I only have five, I'll never be happy until I get the other five. But if I can dial down my need like a five does and say I only need three to be happy and I have five, I have more than I need. So is the rich person the person that has the most or is the person that needs the least? That's wisdom right there. So that's wisdom. So this is a very talkative person who loves possibilities, who's outgoing, a pleasure seeker, very sensuous, very earthy. Earthy is a good word for this person. Very worldly. The least religious of the sevens is going to be this seven. Uh, loves indulgence, the freedom to experience all of their experiences, the fear of limitations, scarcity equals panic. We're a fear type. Sevens are fear types. You don't think they're fear types? Then just tell them you're sitting inside all day and watch them panic because that's not, that's not a comforting thought to feel stuck, to feel like your options are taken off the table. Like, like you have to make do with what you have. Scarcity equals panic. Uh, these sevens are very anti-authoritarian. Now, they might not realize that about themselves. They might think, I don't go looking for a fight with authority. Sevens tend to like try to befriend authority as a means of evading authority. Sevens are evaders. They evade authority. They evade responsibility. They evade duty and tasks. They evade with humor. They evade blame with humor. They evade um, relationships because intimacy can feel like getting trapped to a seven. And so they like to keep things lighthearted and surface level. They're evading something, okay? So what's good for me is good for everyone. I want, therefore I need. That's the way this seven feels. And to a sense, all sevens, okay? They're charismatic, personal. They appeal to others with humor. They're smooth. And they smooth out the relational rough spots with humor. They reframe uh, and gaslight, you know, experiences. They're sly, cunning, not gullible. Um, they don't. They overfocus on the importance of pleasure in life and overfocus on the on the destructiveness of pain. Like pain itself is to be avoided simply because it's painful. But pain can be a good thing. Okay, pain can be something that we don't seek out, but it can be something that teaches us. Um, and so pleasure soothes their fears. Yes, I might be dying, but I have Oreo cookies, so I feel okay. Yes, I might be having a heart attack, but I've got Tylenol, so I don't feel any pain. Okay, that's kind of the idea. Um, well, not Tylenol so much, but I want to do whatever I can do to, 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 over, to, to take away the symptoms of pain, but maybe not necessarily the reason for the pain that the seven might ignore. Uh, in life, the reasons for pain. They just want to deal do with the symptoms of pain and cloud that with uh, with pleasure seeking. Okay, so uh, love of pleasure, self-interest, focus on what I need to feel secure, materialistic, and even rebellious. In other words, the sleeping dog gets kicked. So don't be asleep. You're going to miss opportunities. You better be looking for the next big deal, the next big opportunity. Uh, who are some people that, that demonstrate this kind of personality in our popular culture? Well, I think of a lot of people. And, of course, I grew up in the 80s, so a lot of the rock musicians, you know, the David Lee Roths from Van Halen, the uh, Vince Neils from Motley Crue, you know, singing Girls, Girls, Girls and Dr. Feelgood, 
Um, when I think about uh, uh, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith, you know, I think about uh, those people that sort of 80s rock culture, the poison, I'm looking for nothing but a good time. That is this seven's mantra, okay? I'm looking for nothing but a good time. And uh, Miley Cyrus is probably this kind of seven. And listen to the words to her song. We can't stop and we won't stop. Okay, and it's we who own the night. We, who, her tribe, her little family, her supporters, the people, and she has a special privileged place among those that tribe. And uh, and she's honest. You know, she's singing it as though she's bragging, but really listen to it from the terms of like an addiction. We can't stop and we won't stop. And what? Whatever we want to do, whatever makes us feel good. Well, that's the way addicts think. Okay. And sevens can be prone to addiction because they think that some substance out there is going to fill the cracks, fill the void, fill the emptiness in their life. And of course, you know, be, me being who I am, I, I think there's only one real way to solve that emptiness in your life thing, okay? And it's not through cake, and it's not through drugs, and it's not through sexual immorality, and it's not through, you know, uh, all the the thousands of wells that are out there that you can drink from. But when you're empty, or you think you're empty, then guess what? You can't stop. You've got to keep it. You've got to keep searching. For or at least numbing the pain of that emptiness with whatever opportunistic, you know, things are in front of you. It could be material things, it could be experiences, it could be adventures, it could be shopping, money, spending money, whatever. Okay. So probably, you know, Howard Stern, you know, is probably uh this seven, Hugh Hefner. Okay. Uh this is the culture of Playboy, the Playboy, the Playgirl. You know, this is that culture. Maybe Meredith on The Office. Uh, maybe Eddie Murphy. I don't know. Uh, he could possibly be that seven. All right, so let's move on to the social seven. This is the grown-up seven. Okay, this is what I am. This is the grown-up seven. I know a lot of people on my videos say, are you a five? Um, well, that's a compliment. I'll take that as a compliment. This is the most adult-like of the sevens. This is the counter type for the sevens. This is the seven that responds to gluttony by saying, Ooh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a glutton. They feel the impulse toward gluttony, the need for, Oh, I need that. I need more. They, they see the shiny sparkly things and they're drawn to them, but then they desire rather to be thought of as a good person than a gluttonous person. Because in gluttony, there is a, uh, a hint, at least a hint, maybe more than a hint, of exploitation in that. You know, if I'm eating 10 pieces of cake, well, that means somebody probably didn't get one. So the social seven says, I would rather be thought of as a good person than to have my quote unquote wants met. And so the want to be thought of as a good person supersedes the, the whatever temporary want or desire that might pop up for the moment. Now, this is not the same thing as the one who truly wants to be a good person. So I'm not saying, oh, well, aren't the social sevens just somebody to be clapped at, clapped for. This is more the desire to look good or to be good for the applause. So there's not necessarily anything inherently more, you know, um, good about this seven than the other seven. It's just that their need is met 
um, in a different way. This social seven kind of has the insatiable, which means gluttonous, insatiable desire to be admired for their goodness. Now, isn't that a humbling thought? That does not make me feel good to realize that about myself, is that I want to be thought of as a good guy so badly that and so here's here's the key word for this social seven sacrifice sacrifice because immediately this seven feels their desires feels all the same gluttonous impulses that the self-preservation seven feels but then shoves that down just like you know uh the uh, the counter six shoves down their fears and puffs themselves up to be powerful. The the self-preservation force shoves down their pain. And then let's talk about your pain instead. The uh, um, so this seven kind of shoves down that that need or want or impulse to either delay it or disarm it uh, because they want to remain connected to the people that are in their life. And they know that their impulse to teleport away and do what they want to do for this moment is going to separate and break up those connections and would be thought of as selfish. And so I didn't do this thing. I didn't take that last piece of cake. Aren't you proud of me? Aren't you, uh, aren't you uh, happy for me? Don't you admire me because of what I didn't do? And that's kind of a humbling thing to realize about yourself if you're a social seven. So being selfish is bad. They sense the gluttony as an impulse, but then decide to define themselves as anti-gluttonous. Uh, they, they want to focus their attention on supporting others, on giving to others, on easing the pain of others. And so this seven can be kind of like, you know, a caregiver uh, or might enter the fields of employment where they're offering help and care to others. Um, and that is a way, in a sense, of dealing with their own pain. You know, pain is not something sevens want to deal with. And so the first seven just says, well, I'm going to throw myself into, into sensuality or throw myself into pleasure seeking as a way of distracting myself away from pain and boredom. This seven says, if I'm a help to other people and I bring humor and joy and alleviate their pain, then I don't have to focus on my own pain. I don't have to focus on my own problems and challenges because my mission in life is to help other people take the focus off of their uh, pain and challenges. We're like the self-preservation four wants to focus on your pain and help you through your pain as a way of, at least we can talk about pain, even if I can't talk about mine, the social seven wants to focus on alleviating pain because it distracts me away from having to deal with painful things in my own life, okay? It's a little nuanced difference from the four. So this seven exists to serve the group and to stay connected to the to the important people in their life. So this seven can look like a two. The last seven, what did I say? Did I say what they can look like? The last seven is the seven that can look like a hedonist, okay, hedonism, which is going to put you at odds with most religions in the world. Um, I didn't say what that seven could look like. I don't know if I had that in my notes. But this seven can look like a two and can look like a one. A two because, oh, I'm here to serve others. I'm here to take care of others. And I'm going to laugh and joke up. And even their laughing and joking is, in a sense, to like bring relief to others and to help you know smooth the gears 
uh, of life and make things a little more palatable about life. And so they're there to serve and there for the group and let's all take the kids to the museum and let's we're just do this fun thing for the kids. And they can look like a one because they want to do the right thing and be good and be thought of as good rather than just throwing themselves headlong into all their hedonistic desires. So they want to support the group and give to others. They're motivated to uh, give more than to take. And they expect that that relationship is going to be reciprocal. Since I gave and since I sacrificed, won't you guys now sacrifice and, and admire me and let me know how important I am to you? Because look at all the things I gave up when I decided to, you know, be present with you today. Okay, so they will take care of me. Um, they want to help by bringing healing and uh, easing pain in this world. They can be very visionary, enthusiastic, inspire, and motivate others. They can also use their inspirational tools to manipulate others. Um, they can talk people into things, uh, talk people into you know going off into ventures that maybe are not in the other person's best interest. All right, they want to be recognized for their sacrifice and for the contribution that they've made. They need admiration. They need applause. Um, and they strive to hide their gluttonous impulses behind altruistic behaviors. Um, so, you know, they may take a job like a minister. They may take a job like a, a nurse or a doctor. They may take a job, you know, uh, humanitarian, uh, because they want to think of themselves as helpful, good people, which they can be. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying their orientation is toward gluttony. All right, but I want to I want to move away from that impulse, and I want to uh, take care of other people instead. And everybody, I hope you know me as somebody who's a humanitarian and a person that cares for others. Don't know me as a glutton. Okay, so they want to be anti-gluttonous. This action of serving others, in a sense, kind of purifies this seven's guilt for feeling all those impulses. Like they feel guilty for feeling those impulses. Uh, that are seven impulses, and so they strive to kind of like go in the opposite way, which is counter counter seven, and not act on those, do the right thing, do the good thing, act like a one, act like a two, and then won't you appreciate how I behaved like an adult? I didn't behave like an adolescent, I behaved like an adult, and now everything's going to be okay, right? So they sacrifice, um, but in a sense, it's still in their own self-interest to do so. It's not necessarily because they are really taking care of others, but it's kind of like salving our own conscience that we're being sacrificial. Um, at the end of the day, we hope it's reciprocated with admiration. So if I'm giving something to you with the expectation that you're going to give me something back in return, is it really fair to call that giving? There's a challenge there for you. So this seven needs to go to five. Maybe to learn that sometimes connections are not necessary. Sometimes connections can be counterproductive. And that maybe it's okay sometimes to just say, you know what, it's okay for my kids to do what they want to do today and for me to do what I want to do today. And it's not selfish for me to just maybe sit for two hours and watch TV. Because it might start to feel selfish to me, like I'm being gluttonous if I were to eat the last piece of cake or if I were to watch TV um, I don't necessarily have to, like a two, go behind everybody and connect and make sure everything's okay. Um, maybe it's okay to learn from a five that some connections you can just kind of let go of for a while and they'll be all right. Um, so enthusiastic, 
This seven, you know, feels the need to share what's going on in their life and what they know and what they are passionate about. Uh, like if they discovered the Enneagram, they might want to make YouTube videos and share with the world, you know, this helpful information. They can be very idealistic. Wouldn't it be a better world if everybody understood the Enneagram and understood who they were? Uh, and social skills. I'm not afraid of a camera. Put me on YouTube. Put me around the world. Social skills. Okay. Those three things really typify this seven. Uh, enthusiasm, idealism, and social skills. They can be visionaries, joyful, uh, avoid conflict and fear commitment. Now, who are some people that illustrate, you know, this kind of sevenness in our world? First person I think of is probably Phil on Mo uh, on Modern Family. Phil on Modern Family is a good example. I think Clark Griswold on Christmas Vacation uh, would fit this description. And um, when Robin Williams played Patch Adams in that movie Patch Adams, or even uh, the character he played in Dead Poets Society, I think could be good examples of this kind of seven. Uh, maybe Joy on Inside Out would be, uh, and honestly, this seven and the next seven, I think it's very hard sometimes with characters to know which is which. So yeah, the Jimmy, the Jim Carries, the Jim Fallons, I mean, Jimmy Fallon's, I can see him here and I can also see him in the next one. So let's just move to the next one and we'll talk about those characters when we get to the next one. The sexual seven. The sexual seven, I think, is the most childlike, okay? Meaning that they can kind of get sort of caught up in their fantasy and not necessarily want to deal with the world the way it is. So that's where this seven could go to the five and say, you know, how are things really? What's the real data? You know, what is the state of this family? What is the state of this company? What is the state of this organization? And this seven may not really want to face the truth of the data that's in front of them because they stay focused in sort of an idealistic utopian idea of the way things ought to be, where everybody gets along and there is no problems and everything's funny and there's no crisis and everybody's got candy and there's nothing to be upset about and they can get kind of lost in rose-colored glasses, rose-colored glasses, that's this seven. They see the world as though it is the way it is in their mind. They want to live in Candyland, and they think that everybody out there, you know, has that same kind of Peter Pan, Neverland, Candyland kind of, uh, and, and they're, they're shocked and surprised when they realize, you know, that the people around them maybe have been taking advantage of them. They don't want to face the problems or the challenges, you know, that might be right in front of them. They don't want to believe those terrible things. They want, you know, for everybody to be upbeat and happy and joyful and fun. And that's why I say, look at the Jimmy Fallon's Okay, look at Jim Carrey in The Truman Show where he lives in this alternate universe, this alternate reality where everything's okay and everything's... Look at the Ace Venturas, you know, it's it's just kind of this fake um, uh, Disney Channel life, right? Where everybody's upbeat and everybody, you know, is, where the biggest problems are that you weren't a good enough friend to me. Um, Jack Skellington off of uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas who is depressed. He's depressed when he looks at the world the way it is. He's depressed. But then when he discovers Christmas, everybody's going to love this. This is something to get excited about. This is something to be enthusiastic about. Sevens can look depressed. 
you may think, oh my goodness, my seven are supposed to be such happy, upbeat people. But when you look at them, you might see depressed. And if they don't feel like they have something to rev their mind on, they've got five and they need ten, um, and they look at the world the way it is, and we got to go to work, and we have to have jobs, and we have to pay bills, and insurance, and dentists, and cancer, and disease. They can become, we can become like Jack Skellington, you know, at the beginning of the movie. Depressed, down, defeated. And then we discover Christmas, and we love it when something's exciting. And we can make things exciting. I think of Miguel in Coco, right? He wants to be a guitar player. And that's all he can think about. He's got five and he needs ten. And he's overcome with this desire to do whatever it takes. Think of Ariel, the little mermaid. She's got everything you could ever want in this cave. She's got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. Who's it's and what's it galore. Thingamabobs, we got them all. We got five. We got six. We got seven. Oh, but there's one thing I need. Oh, there's just one more thing. What a glutton. They're doing a, a, a play, and, and all the other mermaids are there. And who's the star of the show? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Ariel, but she's not there. Why? She teleported. She teleported away to a better there. For sevens, there is always better than here. How can you be present to life if you're not here? Here's the thing, sevens. You want happiness. Sevens just want to be happy. Here's the reality, the shocking reality. Happiness only exists in the present. Happiness is always right here. But if you're not here, you can't feel happiness. You can't experience happiness. If you're stuck in the future or you're stuck in the past, then you're not present to what's going on right in front of you. And so you can't have happiness unless you can be fully present in what you're doing. Little Mermaid, at the beginning of the movie, is she happy? No, she's not happy. She's distressed because of what she doesn't have. Miguel in Coco, is he happy? No, he's distressed. Because all these ones in the family and all these nines that go along with the ones, you know, are forcing him to squelch his dreams. His dreams, that's why sevens are called dreamers. And which one of the sevens is the most likely to be a dreamer? When you see a dreamy, when you see a dreamy childlike wonder seven, that's probably the sexual seven. Okay? When you see the seven buckling down and doing the right thing and being a good person and I've got to take care of people and it's probably a social seven. When you see a seven that's got the pedal to the floor and ain't looking for nothing but a good time and, you know, they're um, got the pedal to the floor, let's just say that, it's probably a self-preservation seven, okay? Um, so if the self-preservation is earthy and the social seven is, let's say, grounded, okay, this seven is sort of heavenly, and I don't mean heavenly like religious, although that's very possible, uh, but heavenly in the sense of like their head is stuck in the clouds. They're kind of like dreamlike. I'll give you another good example, a great example of this seven. Michael Scott. You ever watch The Office? Michael Scott is this seven. He is a seven for sure, and I would say he's this seven because he doesn't want to pay attention to the way things really are in The Office. In his mind, he has an overly idealistic interpretation 
of his relationship with all those people in the office. They all love him. They think he's the best boss ever. We all go out after work and get cocktails together. And he has this idealistic imp impression in his mind as to w the way the world ought to be and even the way it is. It's rose-colored glasses. And the whole show is about things not living up to his expectations and how frustrating that is. And then he, how he has to reframe everything that happens to him in order to not lose this overly idealistic vision of the uh, environment that he works in and of the relationships that he has. People in that office are enduring his leadership because he's not present. He's not focused on what the actual mission of that company is. He's stuck in his fantasy or in his dreamlike state as to the way things ought to be where everybody's chummy, everybody's friendly, and he's the special privileged person in that circle. And he's stuck to that interpretation of the way things are so that he can't be present to the, to, to the way things actually are. And, you know, the whole show is about the chaos that creates and how everybody loves him at the end of the day because he's so, he, you know, he tries. He's trying to just be positive and upbeat. He's trying to keep humor in the workplace. But at the same time, he, he can be quite annoying to work with as well. And again, sevens may be unaware of the pain that they cause in this world. Um, also, I think Kramer is a seven. I'm not sure which seven he is, but Seinfeld, I think Kramer's a seven as well. Um, probably the self-preservation seven. All right, so this seven has extreme optimism. It's, you know, that, that love is blind. Okay, you heard that saying, love is blind. Well, this seven kind of has those same glasses that a person has when they're in love where they just don't see the flaws. They just don't see them. Um, this seven kind of like walks through the world like not necessarily wanting to focus on. They might see them, but they're not going to want to focus on those flaws and how to solve them. It's more like, like how to minimize them, how to move away from those, and how to maximize or turn around difficult things and to make them more positive. So uh, this seven can have a very hard time taking in ne negative information and probably going to reframe most of life, um, most of the negative things of life. And what, by reframing, you know, what we mean is, well, that actually probably worked out for the good. When really it didn't work out for the good, it was a terrible thing, and we ought to just sit with the pain of it being terrible. But that's not comfortable to sit with the pain of being terrible. So we try to come to the point where, well, actually now when I look at it and think about it from this perspective, you know, if I check my brain out and I and I think of it like a robot, then actually it wasn't that bad. And so sevens can sometimes, in their quest to move away from pain, the fear of pain, always ask this too, not what are people running toward, but what are they running away from? When you're running toward pleasure... Okay, everybody can see that. You're running, you're cha you're upping the environment, you're upping the energy. You have a constant need to be humorous, to be liked, to be admired, to uh to be on the receiving end of pleasure. Okay, that's what you're running toward. What are you running away from? Most of life because a lot of life is not pleasurable. It's not fun, but it's important. You know, it's responsibility. Listen to this seven sounding like a one. I said this seven, the social seven, can sound a little bit like a one or a two. Oh, I know the self-preservation seven can seem a little bit like an eight because um, they're going to go do what they want to do, all right? And they can seem a little bit like a six 
because there's an anxiety within them that we're missing out. We need, we need, we need to go. We need, we need to get some more. We there's that anxiety of like, hey, they have a sale right now, and I'm missing it. There's a sale. I only got five, and they've got the other five on sale, and I'm missing out. And so that anxiety of I gotta go get in the car and let's go get those other five, or I'm never gonna be okay. It's that six, and then that eightness of that seven of, and I don't care what you say, I'm going. I don't care how much it costs, I'm spending the money. So that first seven can look like a six and can look like an eight. My seven, the social seven, can look like a one and two, pish posh, don't you envy me, okay? And then this seven, you know, can kind of look like, uh, I think, a nine, especially the nine wing one, sort of kind of caught in a dream-like state. And life is happening to these sevens to some degree. Um, and I think the seven could look a little bit like a four because uh, they have like an overly romantic view of the way things ought to be, an over idealistic view, romantic idea of, of what love is going to be and how popular they're going to be and how liked they're going to be. And they can kind of look at the world sort of like from that overly romanticized idea, similar to maybe a four. So they imagine that things that are lively and fun and energetic, and then they act accordingly to escape the unpleasantness of this life. Uh, they can live in the happy world that they create in their heads, and they want to know that everything is going to get okay, and I'm not going to get stuck in all these negative feelings. If I'm okay, and you're okay, and we're okay, then everything's okay, right? They can be visionaries. Uh, they can have a tendency to live in their imagined reality and not deal with the problems that are right in front of them. And this seven needs to go to five uh, to observe the way things actually are and the real data and not just, you know, their imagined data or the way they'd like for things to be. So they can plan and improvise a lot. They want to sample all of life's good things, which I think all sevens have in common. They can be passive aggressive. Uh, they don't want to miss out on anything. No sevens really enjoy conflict, although I think the first one, the self-preservation, will probably bring more conflict and deal with conflict because they have that eight uh, you know, energy a little more. They'll probably be a little bit more likely. And sixes can deal with conflict too. Um, so probably the sexual and the social are going to be the most uh, abhorrent to conflict. The self-preservation is probably going to be a little bit more nimble on their feet when it comes to conflict and a little more okay with conflict. Uh, so I said, what, Michael Scott, Olaf, won't it be great in summer? Summer's going to be great. Won't it be great in summer? Won't it be great? Summer's going to be great. That's a pretty idealistic view for a snowman, you know, to think summer's going to be great. Ariel, Jack Skellington, Jimmy Fallon, Jim Carrey, Miguel. And like I said, you know, maybe Jim Carrey, Jimmy Fallon, maybe I've got them wrong. Maybe they... And the list goes on. I mean, there's a lot, so many comedians, Dick Van Dyke, and, you know, so many comedians that we could put in the seven category um, that it's hard sometimes to know the difference, I think, between the social and the sexual. It's a, It seems a little slight nuanced. Um, I would say if you see a seven that looks like they're grown up, raising a family, working every day, kind of looks like a one, you know, that's probably the social seven. If you've got the seven that's like on TV and making everybody laugh and the comedian, it could very well be the sexual seven, you know, and if you've got the seven that is, you know, the rocker, the, um, 
the living life to the fullest sort of, you know, um, the adolescent, you know, you might have a self-preservation seven, a little bit more, less care to the wind, throw care to the wind, you know, and get what I need get what I want. Um, now again, when, every time I do these videos, you know, to the degree that you don't demonstrate these quote unquote negative characteristics, then you should be proud of yourself. Uh, I've been hard on all of the sevens, right? I'm hard on everybody because the Enneagram is hard on us all. I mean, it's in our wounds that we're healed. It's by seeing our cracks, you know, that, that we have opportunity to grow. So if you feel like, you know, this video might be a little bit hard on you or wasn't 100%, it's never going to be 100%. But if it's a little bit hard on you, then to the degree that you don't exhibit those behaviors, then we're all proud of you. Great job. You're resisting the impulses and the compulsions within you that would separate you and isolate you from others and break your connections with others. So we're very proud of you for resisting those impulses and for acting on those impulses to love others and to be present with others and to be present with every day and care for people and to do all those noble, virtuous things. Then we're very proud of you for exhibiting those behaviors instead of the lesser behaviors. Okay, man, I'm exhausted. So... Be present to life. For sevens, what does that mean? Ultimately, what it means is the better there is not always better than here. Here is better when here is nurtured. If you could be fully present to here and enjoy the five you have and not focus on the five you don't have, the five you have could bring you a lot of joy. And if you're continually focused on there, you're never able to be here. And happiness is only found here. Be present to life, guys. See you next time.